everybody, welcome to another episode of MTG Rants. I'm Taylor Grace, and today I'm joined by a very special guest, level three judge and Pro Tour Barcelona qualified player, Elliot Raff. Elliot, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great, Tan, and how are you? I'm doing all right, man. It's a, it's a it's a little bit of the afternoon for us, for everybody at home. Um, for me, it's 1.26 on a Monday, so it's 2.30 your time. Is that, you live in Roanoke, right? Yeah, that's still, true. Yeah, you still live in Roanoke, right? So it's, I just took one Roanoke logo and replaced them with another here, since Ross is going to be out of town. And for everybody, we're going to be we're gonna be covering a lot of stuff leading up to the Pro Tour this weekend for Elliot. So um, I thought this would be a good chance for us to have a sweet episode where we get a guest on who we've had before. Elliot Raff, you might know, uh, very famously had that amazing run at RC Dallas very recently that I got to cover Elliot like no bullshit it was one of the most fun experiences I've ever had covering an event was getting to vicariously live that event through you and seeing you make that amazing run and how happy and stuff you were through all of it and then we're going to cover um, that for everybody here today uh what prep for your first pro tour has been like what you expect and then maybe some stuff that you could tell people at home who are aspiring to make their first pro tour or get back onto it that could help them out you ready to go Elliot yeah absolutely all right, awesome. Let's go ahead and start where it all began. What was it like leading up to the regional championship in Dallas? Because, you know, you talked to me a lot about anybody who watched the interviews. Uh, you know, uh, our mutual friends, Ross and Todd, were there. And Todd had some high praise for you going that he had, you know, some expectations that you weren't ready to live up to, but you ended up living up to that weekend. Yeah, yeah. Todd, uh, Todd's a good friend of mine. We grab lunch pretty much every week. Uh, and he had just, he looked over at me and just decided uh, before the event that I was going to place sixth. I don't know how he came up with that number, uh, but it ended up being pretty scarily accurate. Yeah, um, kind of, yeah. Kind of nuts actually. Because he was saying it. He told me I think at like round two or something like that when you came by and you were like, "Yeah, I'm two out." He's like, "Yeah, sixth place." <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was pretty nuts. I mean, at that point, all Todd knew was that I was going to be playing you know, the enigmatic fires deck, uh, and like honestly, I. I, I never expected anything like RC Dallas to happen. Like, I'd been playing on Magic Online, you know, more than I normally do because I don't really get to play that many of these events. And I felt okay about my deck choice, but I knew very fully well that I was signing up for a matchup lottery uh, with, with my deck choice. At DKE Pioneer. Yeah, in Pioneer. I mean, yeah. but that just is a lot of the format, I guess. Yeah, that's, what I was, um, that's the joke I was trying to make. That It feels a lot of like that to me. Yeah, yeah. Uh... But yeah, I mean, that weekend was just absurd. Like, uh, it got, I, I was paid off for the individual card choices and the decisions that I ended up making. And obviously, I'm pretty well uh, matchup wise and, you know, had to play super tight. But uh, like you said, just getting to do it all with my friends there, watching with you there, with, you know, knowing a bunch of people, you know, on the coverage team and players. And uh, it, 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 I just couldn't have dreamt it up any better. Yeah, it's always nice when we, A, have a really good um, narrative to follow, right? You know, like, you know, a couple of the players who haven't qualified for the pro tour. I think I, think I said this on air when I said it to you when we did an interview when you were, like, officially locked for the top eight, is um, one of my favorite things that the RCs is asking players, you know, right before, and like, have you ever played on a pro tour before? And they're like, no. And so I'm like, so this is going to be your first one? And it dawns on them that they qualify for the pro tour. And seeing that moment because you know i remember the first time i qualified and you've, you've seen it in other people's faces it means so much right it's that validation of all that work and time you've put into this game over the years especially when you're like an aspiring competitive player 
and you get to have that culmination of just all of it coming together, it's such a great feeling. What did what it, it mean to you to realize that first time, like, I get to go play on the Pro Tour? Yeah, I mean, it's it's still just an incredible thing to think about for me. Uh, yeah, I was a competitive player and kind of a semi-serious grinder before I started judging, which was, I guess, almost 12, 13 years ago now. Jesus, has it really been um, that long? God, we're so old. <laughs> yeah, and... So I'd kind of given up the idea that I would ever get to play in one. Um, <laughs> yeah, I I have been wanting to to judge one, to work one for a while, uh, but but haven't had the opportunity yet. Uh, so realizing that you know I had a, a really good shot to actually get there as a player was was absurd. And then yeah, I I won my eleventh match on the day or. Or, or on the tournament, uh, and realized I was probably locked. But you know, I still had some some work to do for top eight. And, uh, yeah, the 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 moment I'll remember is that I was playing against Spirits uh, for for uh, the twelfth round, and won uh, a, a very very tight second game. And I was you know locked in and at table one. I knew there were people around, but I didn't. Yeah, uh, yeah I was just locked in on my mat, and uh, the game ended on a shield or trigger for me killing my opponent and I just hear Todd absolutely yell <laughs> exclaim in the background hey, hey. and it just like shook me and it all just kind of hit me at that moment and I just kind of fell apart for a minute there like, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna be... remember that for the rest of my life yeah that was absolutely I mean uh, I remember hearing Todd from like, the other side of the room and I wish I was there for like that exact moment it's like, because that's like I said, just such a good moment to experience through someone, right? You know, like getting to actually like vicariously feel the excitement and the happiness, especially when it's someone, you know, talking from my perspective towards you, right? You know, I've known you for a long time. You know, I've seen you, you know, through like struggles and trying really hard at times, you know, judging a ton. And then I knew that you put in a ton of work for this. So it's so nice to see that work get rewarded. Now, I love what you mentioned there. You were like, yeah, it's like pretty sure that I was locked at like 11, but you know, at the 12th, you know, it's guaranteed. I just wanted to focus on my match. I didn't really notice there were a lot of people around me. I think that's a big thing that we don't talk about a lot at events. And I know that I sort of like maybe struggled with this a little bit early or had this happen to me a little early in like my competitive career where everyone sets expectations for themselves, right? It's like, I just want a day two of this event, right? Or even further, if you're playing something bigger, you know, I just want to top eight this event, right? I just want to make the top eight. You know, that's the culmination of stuff. And when the players get there, sometimes I feel like a lot of people kind of like let it go at that point. You know, they feel like they've accomplished their goal. And, you know, I think I may have told you this, you know, when you may talk about it, I'm like, hey, you still got a lot more to go, like keep the focus and you didn't even need it, right? Like you were already focused. You already had that mindset, but that's such an important thing to bring up. And I'm glad you did. And do you think that's something that you didn't have a problem with at RC Dallas was able to, yeah, look. I've got the first thing out of the way, but I've got a lot more to go. Yeah. Uh, it was definitely really interesting because I was really loose for that event in general. I, I 100% agree, uh, agree with that, by the way. I noticed that for sure that you did not seem nervous. Maybe it was like nervous energy, if anything, but like not nervous or had nerve problems at all. Yeah. Like, I don't really know how to quantify it because, like I said, I haven't really been in too many of those situations. I had kind of just viewed the weekend going into it as like, I'm going to play the Pioneer deck that I know the best, that I have the most fun with. I'm going to spend a really fun weekend with my friend. 
And yet whatever happens, happens. Uh, like my tentative goal, if you had asked me going into the event was I just wanted to make day two. Um, because that was actually my first day two of a competitive level event. Um, real quick, let's explain on that for one second. What's it like playing at an event that takes that many rounds and stuff? Were you, were you surprised at a, like how many rounds it is, how tiring it is, how much focus you have to have over, you know, a 24 hour span pretty much because it's like 12 to 14 hour days. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's definitely exhausting. Like I've played, I've played competitive events before, you know, I've played like long one days stuff like that so i i kind of know how my body reacts to that and it's definitely a grind um it i think day two was a little easier for whatever reason i mean certainly i had a couple hours off in the middle of it so uh did you go loose once you read out 8090 yeah yeah uh i i mean it it was definitely a, a huge grind like i my head was splitting open uh, during the ninth rounds that you could go back and watch on camera. Like, I needed to, like, go to the bathroom, splash water on my face. Like, I, my body was not having it. That was a, a really long day. There was, like, tech issues. I think we were there for, like, 12 or 13. Yeah, it was a really long day. It was very impressive how you played that last round, by the way. Yeah, I mean, uh, it definitely uh, got a little fortunate there at times, but that... The last round was, you know, against Mono Green and they didn't have the nut draw, and that's just kind of all you needed in that matchup uh, a lot of the time. But, yeah, I mean, that that whole weekend was just crazy. Like, I, I still don't even know how to describe it. Like, I've I've gone back and, like, watched the video, and, you know, I there, there's been a lot of times even leading up to this uh, this pro tour and, and working with, you know, the group of people that I'm working with where I just still can't believe that it's happened. Like, I, I board a flight tomorrow morning, and I don't think I'm going to actually have it sink in until, like, at, at the registration party. Up. Biggest piece of advice I can give you for all this, make sure you sleep. Oh, like that's, yeah, for that's sure. That's one of the hardest things to deal with when it comes to, especially with the jet lag and everything. Uh, let's circle back right before we get to this pro tour thing, you know, because I kind of tangented there just a little bit. But that's what this show is about. Um, what was it like having to keep that focus all through day two in the top eight once you've kind of like already achieved that goal you're like oh well, i just wanted to make day two now i've made day two i really want to make the pro tour now i've made the pro tour i want to make the top eight now i've made the top eight did yeah. you find yourself playing differently having a different mental uh acuity type thing that you were doing or was it just like all business when you sit down so really it, it varied um so i'm generally a pretty easygoing guy and i i i'd agree with that i <laughs> generally like I kind of have this like switch that happens sometimes where either I'm like very serious or I'm really not. Uh, and kind of how I, I tried to do it was just not think about what was coming next. Right. I was trying to just be like head down, play this match, you know, have a good time. Uh, and I was kind of just like try to be really friendly with my opponent at the outset and kind of like let myself get more into the focus from a healthy place as opposed to starting because I know that, like, starting off from that intense place is going to tire me out a lot more quickly. So it was really just a, a question of just being able to just take one match at a time, not really think about what comes after that, not really even think about what that match. Just, you know, focus on winning the game. I think that's a really good way to take it. I love hearing that, uh, that approach stuff because I can definitely uh, echo that in my own experience as well so 
love hearing that. Love that it worked out for you and all that stuff. So let's talk a little bit about the prep that's coming up. You know, you've now the, the RC's over. It probably took a few days, but it did it did it all sink in within the next day, or did it take a few for you to like really, really kind of realize what you had done? No, so it, it I definitely had to take a few days. Um, it started. I, I think my first uh, kind of uh, moment of it sinking in was actually. Uh, getting invited to uh, be on a team for the pro, uh, which happened pretty immediately. Uh, so I- I'm working with Team Misfit Pro Tour. So uh, that's folks like uh, Derek Davis and Benton Madsen, who have top aided the last couple uh, uh, old school guys like uh, Berkowitz. The this uh, a really great group of folks that have been privileged to test. Uh, but I think the the first kind of indication was actually getting that invite and kind of internalizing oh my god people actually want my input <laughs> because okay. before that that's not really something i'm gonna cut yeah it's 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 a weird like moment right the first time that people you've either like looked up to or you have respect for or you know you, you know have like more results than you right like more of a reason to be uh, an expert in their field uh I'm not saying any way for you just just saying said i'm saying from my own perspective as well that the moment when they start asking you questions and generally want your opinion, you have that like imposter syndrome seeped in for a moment, right? Like I know at least I have. Do you ever fight that? Oh yeah, absolutely. Like uh, I I've had that at various times throughout the whole pro. Uh, and you know, on the team, uh, yeah, I, I don't think it's a stretch to say like we're pretty varied. Like we're not going to end up on a team deck. We're just kind of going to play what they know, and I. It is modern, so yeah, it, yeah. it is modern. So that's kind of my thought process. Like, just to get out of the way. Like, I'm gonna be playing Golari. Uh, mm-hmm. That would have been what I would have like bet on. For yeah, you to play, yeah. yeah. So I've I've been playing the deck for a while, and I just feel like it's to my advantage to play something that I know that I'm gonna be able to have fun with, and you know, know inside and out rather than perhaps you know the best deck at the time, which you know might be fallacious, but it's what I'm what I'm. Uh, but to to get to circle back is like in these meetings where you know we're discussing you know the modern metagame or the the draft format or what have uh, it's it's been really enlightening to know that you know my experience is just as valuable as everyone else's and that they gen that know what I'm thinking and that I was invited on you know even if I don't necessarily feel like I belong there and you know these people are going to worlds and have top eights and results and I'm just some guy who spiked an RC. Uh, you know, I, I'm still a guy who spiked an RC and that, that, that process is valuable in this place. So, uh, so I can still contribute, you know, allow me to have a moment of vanity where I talk about it from my own perspective. It, it never fully goes away just so you know. So like, and I think that's like what makes a human, right? Like if I ever went into, let's say I ever got competitive again, right. And I went into a course where I do it a bit and I didn't have that moment of self-doubt. I didn't have that moment where. You know, I was like searching my feelings and trying to find out, like, you know, am I ready for this? Like, oh, look, I didn't have that. Like, I don't think I care enough about you, but right. You know, I don't feel like it means to me like what it did in the past, because in the past, no matter what kind of run I was on, you know, those years where I had like the insane runs in the SCG tour or back when I was, you know, queuing for all the pro tours and stuff like it's I still get nervous. I still had imposter syndrome. I think one of the, the best experiences of or, the funniest ones that I ever have was the 25th anniversary pro tour the the team one right the team that i was on 
not just like my individual TV. I played with Maz and Brennan Candia, the, the testing group that I was a part of. Um, if I told you all the names on it, it would just sound like I'm name dropping, right? It was just unreal, like how deep it was. Also, our testing group had, we absolutely broke a format, which was great. That was awesome to come out of that. And we did re like really well as a team overall because of that. But um, it was really interesting because, you know, I was, you know, my team was brought in for obvious reasons. You know, Bicandio was a, a huge mind to be gay at the times, you know, still is, even though he's, you know, got, ki you know, kids and stuff now and a family, so he's a little more uh, busy, but. You know, re you know, I know why they want him on the team. You know, obviously, Amaz is a great player, puts in a ton of work. And then they were like, hey, we really want to hear your thoughts on Legacy. Because at the time, you know, I was known as a Legacy guy because of all the results I've been putting up in the SD Tour, which I always had imposter syndrome with that. Because, like, I think a lot of people don't know is at the beginning of the run and all that stuff, yeah, like, uh, you know, I was innovating. I was, like, trying new stuff out. I was changing stuff. I was, like, always working on my deck. But I had always, like, no experience in the format. I just happened to be like okay at it. It was like the player on the team that was gonna probably, you know, I, mean? I had the player without the help. Like Brynn was very good at standard, Russ is very good at modern, and someone has to play legacy, right? And like I can play legacy okay. So we just, you know, figured it out from there. And then I just learned a lot, right? So we get into the testing process, and I'm trying to remember all the people who were playing legacy on all the teams, but one of the people that I talked to, two of the people that I talked to the most were Eric Frolick and Kai Budet. Because they were the legacy players for like their teams, right? And so it's it's literally me and multiple Hall of Fame Magic players, right? And they're like barraging me with questions, you know? Yeah. I'm like, you know, I'm just like, oh my god, oh my god, don't get nervous, don't freak out. And I remember this very distinct conversation one day where Eric and uh, Kai were very much considering this certain deck, right? That was he was actually putting up some decent results on Magic Online. It was kind of a metagame call. It was not a known deck. It was like the mono black prison deck thing in Legacy, right? Yeah. I hate it. I thought it sucked, even though it can beat some of the most popular decks. And I remember one day I'm such a conversation with Kai. He's like, what do you think of this? He's like, I'm seriously considering playing it. Like, what's your honest opinion on it? Kai, I hate it. I don't think you should play it. He's like, do you think it's bad? I'm like, not necessarily. He's like, why do you think you shouldn't play it? I'm like, I think you're not going to finish rounds. Your opponents are not going to conceive when they're dead. And stuff like you're gonna have all kinds of problems and like you're just not playing you know brainstorm or some of the most you're not doing some of the most powerful things in the format like if you're not playing brainstorm you need a good reason to not be playing brainstorm right? yeah right? and so um you know i give him all these reasons and uh you know a english not being his first language b being a european uh they're a little more straightforward when they talk to you um it can almost come off as aggressive which honestly i kind of like you know it's like they don't beat around the bush you know they don't tell you one thing and then slightly do a different thing so he's like, he's like, I actually disagree with you on like, you know, this, 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 and here's why, like, blah, 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 blah. And I was just like, having this back and forth conversation. And at one point I was like, cause he was like literally listening to what I was saying, taking it in and trying to make a decision off that. And at one point I was like, Kai, I'm going to stop you right here. You have won Neo Pro Tours that I have played it. So I want you to understand that when you're just trying to decide whose opinion to listen to here. And who you're talking to. So please take that with a grain of salt when I tell you this is just my opinion. <laughs> but you have one more bit that I played it. Okay. Because at the time, I think I was playing in like exactly like, you know, he's won like what, six or seven or something like that. I think this was my seventh race pro tour or something like that. It was, I might have been a little hyperbolic with it. You know, I'd queued for a lot more, but like that I'd actually physically been to. And I was like, so, you know, take this with a grain of salt, buddy. So it was just really funny to have that like imposter syndrome moment and then like, it goes both ways, right? You know, <laughs> and stuff. So, so that was like pretty crazy. Um, 
what has the actual prep for the event been like with the decks? Are you helping each other out or is it more like you're talking to other people playing the same deck as you? Are you like running games against the people? What's that been like? Yeah, that's the testing process has been great. So uh, we we have like team meetings, you know, once a week uh, for everyone where we kind of just like discuss where we're at, uh, what the metagame's doing, what we think needs changing. Uh, but there's been pretty constant discussion um, in our Discord about, say, like, you know, the people playing, uh, you know, four-color control are all pretty constantly talking in there about, you know, different lines, different sideboarding decisions, uh, you know, what were the plan is against this deck. Uh, and everyone's just been very collaborative and very uh, open to, to working together and sharing their experience. Awesome. Uh, and the same thing for Limited, too. Like, we've been, you know, getting in-house drafts together and uh, sharing, uh, like, the the drafts processes themselves as well as the gameplay and build. And there's just been, like, this constant stream of discussion and collaboration, and it's been really great to get all of these different minds together who are all coming at this uh, format, or these formats, rather, from different places. And you kind of just get to take the nuggets and the experiences that, you think are going to be most applicable to you and then build off that. Uh, it's just been been a experience really unlike anything that I've ever had before. It really opened up my eyes to what it really takes to succeed at this high. Before we get too in-depth on the on the Wigger Constructed deck, like why you're playing, et cetera, because I definitely want to ask you questions about that. I do want to talk about, like, just for a moment, you know, I've talked about the show a few times. I think this limited format is interesting. I've drafted it probably 60 or 70 times. I really wish I was doing coverage uh, this weekend coming out because I feel like I'm super, super prepared and have, like, very strong opinions about the format. And I'm interested to hear some of y'all's opinions on it. Like, how are you approaching the green decks, you know, stuff like that? Do you find yourselves drafting differently when everyone at the table? Because I'm assuming you've had, like, eight-man pods within your group or, or close to it. And have y'all discussed about, like, what to do with your first picks you know like are you shying a little bit away from blue or black at certain spots because you think everyone around you is going to be forcing it like what's y'all's mentality going in because i haven't worked with a team for it i know what i had in my head right so it you know folks have different perspectives right uh people have their different play styles and decks and strategies that they think are better uh, or worse compared to just what they like uh as far as you know first picks go uh, I don't think we're quite preparing to that level yet. I know, uh, you know, people don't necessarily think, you know, for example, that the green decks are all that good or that, you know, this, the black red deck might be the best. True. But there's even different ways and different styles to draft the black red deck, right? Okay. So it, it's really just kind of getting everyone as, uh, as holistic uh, an information uh, pool as possible uh, because you want to be prepared for just about anything if, you know, you open a given card or are seeing certain cards and you want to be able to read the table and know what the table's thinking because this draft format is, I would say, deceivingly... Uh, you know, everyone thought at the outset that, you know, like red and black were the best colors and uh, perhaps black might still be, but there's been a lot of movement on the blue decks as well. Uh, you know, some folks, I know like the Lords of Limited folks are saying that they, you know, think that blue might actually be the best color in the set and things like that. 
I'm, I'm gearing, I've been turned towards that over like my last like 15 drafts or I think, I think blue might be the best, but yeah. Yeah. I think, um, especially in this format, more than a lot of ones that I've drafted before is you really need it. Like even more of a, a cohesive game plan in these games than you do in a lot of uh -huh. ads. And like, it might just be because like you need the ring temp to get to you know level two as quickly as possible, or okay. you need to control the game so that if your opponent's on the ring temp, you know have little knuckleheads that can block some of the better ring bearers. Yeah, wood or, ones have never been so important in a format in my life. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's it's absurd. Like <laughs> you you never thought that like Rohirrim Lancer would be an important cog to your but deck, but in some it really <laughs> is. Yeah. yeah, um, it's just the the. Your card evaluation just changes so much the more you draft the format. Uh -huh. And just ha having that game plan in mind and like keeping track of, you know, what your kill conditions are, what your interaction is, uh, it, it's just so much more important than even just like opening a bomb rare because outside of maybe, you know, three or so cards, every rare in this set is pretty. Yeah, 100% agree there. I think there's like a few uncommon, but a few rares that if I open them, I'm slam taking it and that's deciding the way of my draft that that works out. But I'm a lot of the deal. I'm, I'm first picking commons quite a bit and I have the blue ones really, really high. Like Lord of the End Revealed is like one of probably, it's probably my most first picked card, period. Yeah, that I card. The card. Yeah, I think it's great. Um, also, like, I, I love the points that you made about this format because the way I've described it is when you look at it from top down and you look at everything, like once you realize like the hierarchy of the color you know, scheme, like, you know, it's like blue and black and then like red and there's like white and there's like a, a pile of, a mile of shit and then there's gray or whatever, right? Um, for another money bar, our friends for you, Elliot. Oh, uh, so, no, I, I got that. <laughs> yes. I know you love this. So I, I love that you and I have the same taste. But anyway, when you look at all that from the top, you know, the format becomes pretty simple for me, right? But it was very repetitive and very simple about like, and, and once I realized the decks that work together, you know, like you kind of want to pair this color with this color, et cetera, more often. But then when the games play out, I find the format is like pretty rich and diverse and difficult at times because of the tempting of the ring, like you said. And I have found that a lot of my losses have been I have misplayed against my opponent's tempting of the ring or I have misplayed my own tempting of the ring. And a lot of my wins that I didn't think I would necessarily get or that felt easier than I maybe should have is I'm, you know, attempting a lot faster than my opponent. And I have that, you know, extra, what's the word I'm looking for? Like that extra burden i think is the right word here <laughs> sure, my sure. Opponent has to think about they have to deal with right they have to think of this extra thing it's kind of like when we first had like planeswalkers get involved in limited and you you know creates the sub game the ring does that itself and have you all had that kind of uh realization that it kind of affects the games in ways that you we weren't seeing i feel like you were saying that quite a bit towards the end there oh yeah so like uh, to give like a pretty concrete example, so like one of the best uncommons in the set is like Fear Fire Foes, right? It's the <laughs> love the it. Yeah. X and red uh, deal X to a target and one to each other player. Um, so by by extension, you know you think of that card as like one of the premium cards. You're slamming it. Uh, but then you start to think about cards that have a similar effect. So for instance, in a lot of limited formats, you'd see a card like the Black Breath. Right, which is like right. commons, a two and a black, your opponent's creatures get minus one, minus one. Yeah. So when you're thinking about what makes Fear Fire Foes good, it's that that one damage actually matters. Right. Mm -hmm. it, it sweeps up the X1s, it sweeps up the, the ring bearers that are sometimes hard to, to deal with. So Black Breath actually plays a lot better than it looked. 
because one, it tempts you. So like that's always, you know, something that the floor really wanted to raise. Yeah. Uh, but two is like it kills the opponent's small ring bearers that might you might have otherwise have a diff kill. Uh, so it's it's those kinds of like little synergies and little interactions. Like it, it's part of why you know, greed. I think it's tended to be underdrafted. Although I I personally don't think it's as bad as a lot of people think that it is. It's just it the deck looks a lot different than a traditional green deck in in a lot of formats where. Yeah. You might see something like Enraged Horn, right? That's a four or five with trample for five mana and the ring tempts you. Um, you might take that really high in other formats because, like, oh, it's a four or five, it just stonewalls everything. Where in this format, it's like, no, this like actually doesn't block the most important creature. Okay. Uh, so it it's really you have to find out like what the good green decks look like rather than the deck just had because that's not always true. It's just that. You know, you don't really want to be in like the blue green sky deck because cards are pretty atrocious. You know, yep. uh, it's is it like finding out where the cards fit best? That I think that yeah. has been the hard route. Yeah, and like I think you put into words a lot. The biggest struggle I have with green this format is a lot of its best commons are like the one you're talking about. So four or five for five that you know the ring tempts you or the land cycling great card is pretty good, right? Yeah, it's a big five seven that creates a food when it comes to play. Problem is they're expensive, right? And they always trade down a ton on mana you know there's like two and four mana bounce spells in blue there's like a really like the best trick in the format is one blue mana it can generally you know negate your card for multiple turns you know either yeah. like makes it have like a little bit of power and then it chumps it the next turn if your card doesn't have trample or like it creates a, a, a racing situation or it makes a bigger army there's you know the red decks can get underneath it the black decks can just spend three mana start for speed kill your big your best creature tempt themselves you know as the premier removal spell in the set so that's the problem that I have with green, right? But like you said, there are ways around this, right? Like, I just straight lost to the green-white food decks if they get all the commons, which if people are all thinking the same way that you and I and most of the people in the format are thinking that green is quote-unquote unplayable, if you're the only green drafter at the table, it's pretty good, right? I go back to another pro tour that I did pretty well at uh, once where in a limited format, I forget exactly which one it was, but if I remember right, like red was deemed, you know, the green of the set. Like, dude, it's just not playable. The cards are very good. I remember I was just mono red in my first draft and he's like three other because I was the only red drafter at the table. I did not first pick a red card, but like, you know, you talk about, you know, fear of fire, fear of fire foes or whatever. That card is such a mouthful. <laughs> uh, I'm glad I'm not covering it because of that one. But, uh, you know, you'd be like getting past that card, right? In pack one, you know, you're like, well, I know my opponent's not playing red. I mean, the gun in my race not playing red, so I'm going to take that because that card's really good. And then you get past like a knuckle one. You're like, all right, we did. You know, like we're we're in the <laughs> right spot here. Like we're gonna we're gonna figure it out. You know that kind of stuff. So, I think I'm actually going to be glued to my let's let's say TV set, by probably my computer, my monitor here, uh, for the limited portions of this round. I like limited magic way more than most people, so I'm hoping to catch a glimpse of you during it, and a glimpse of some of your team as well. Anyway, but another little limit. A lot of people listen to this for the constructed takes. Now, you said you're gonna be playing, you know, another. You know, I deemed your deck a combo deck. In, in Pioneer, and this is another one where it's like, it's combo, but not in the traditional sense of combo. You're trying to put a bunch of pieces together, right, and go Gauri Yawgmoth, but that's not the only way your deck can win. So, what made you what made you pick this deck for this weekend? Uh, you know, why do you like it? You know, you, I know you've been playing it for a long time, and have you had any updates from Lord of the Rings? Sure. I'm sorry, Tales of Middle-Earth, let me not get sued or <laughs> copy, copyright infringement. Yeah, so, uh, so yeah, like I said, I'm playing uh, Golgari Yawgmoth, um, which 
Yeah, I've, I've been playing for a while. Uh, so certainly just an aspect of my deck choice is just my comfort level with it. Um, I love, you know, creature kind of combo deck uh, that have a solid plan B. And really in, in Yawgmoth, the combo is almost your plan B. Uh, you have like a, a very strong proactive game plan with uh, you know, pressure pieces like um, like Strangle Regrace, like Grist. Uh, and then Yawgmoth just pulls you so far ahead on Kark. Uh, that it's very difficult for a lot of fear deck up as you land a Yawgmoth with any kind of board press. Uh, so the reason I'm playing it specifically, uh, again, uh, the, the comfort some part of it, but also it just generally tends to have either coin flip or better matchups pretty much across the board. Uh, the uh, unfortunate thing is that your one negative matchup uh, is pretty much Rakdos Scam, <laughs> which... We, you know, I expect to be uh, the most played deck at the Pro Tour. Uh, yeah, it's it's just done incredible. So you're you're gonna see it show up. But the main thing that led me to play Yawgmoth, um is some of the new edition Lord of the Rings as well. Uh, Delighted Halfling's a big deal. Uh, Orcish Bowmasters, it's a big deal. Some version playing the One Ring, some version, uh, you know, aren't and are opting for a more traditional, straightforward build. Uh, but specifically, uh, I found in testing that the resurgence of four-color Omnas, which has come back in a big way because of the one ring, is no longer a bad matchup for you. Um, and th that used to be really bad back in the Yorion days where they could kind of with you and keep parity because they could, you know, buy Yorion and cast it and then draw a million cards and then theirs are all interactive and yours are a bunch of young wolves. Um, <laughs> but mm -hmm. the the kind of way that the uh, matchup plays out now is that you can actually just out uh, you know, the one copy of Yawgmoth is generally going to put you up at least three to four cards and they just can't pressure you enough and have enough disruption to deal uh, how are you feeling about the format as a whole going into the uh, into the event you, know, you talked about you think Rakdos Scam is going to be everywhere I also agree I think that deck was you know one really good two drop away from being very good and we got that in Lord of the Rings you know with Oak Orcish uh, Bowmasters um that card we talked about the ring taking over modern in the last month it looks like that might actually be the card that's taking over modern and being played the most I do think we're going to see a ton of both of them going in do you think that's a real problem that we're going to have in this event where we're going to have too much of the ring and Bowmasters deciding games do you think that's a little overblown and how's the format as a whole feeling for you going in? Like, what are your expectations? What do you think we're going to see? So, Modern's a very diverse format, right? People are going to come not only with what they think is the best deck, but also just a fair number of people are going to do what I've been doing and just play the deck that they've been playing forever. Uh, as far as the Ring and Bowmasters go, I think uh, you're definitely going to see a lot of those two cards. I think you might see slightly less of the One Ring than you might have otherwise thought. Uh, but it, clearly it's very powerful, but people have kind of moved away from it a bit now that Scam's doing pretty well. Uh, even though I think the One Ring is a very powerful piece into Scam. There just aren't that many One Ring decks that I've come across anyway that interact on an axis where you're comfortable drawing that many cards and really, it, it, but without the pressure to back it up. So... Omnath is, is like a very good ring deck because you're generating a lot of mana off of Omnath. You have a lot of free spells, so you can use the card uh, advantage very uh, efficiently. 
And this new kind of Demir midrange deck does a very similar thing where they're playing like four force of negation and four subtleties. Uh, just like a lot of ways to use the extra cards uh, without using a lot of mana. Uh, Bowmasters, you know, you're going to see a lot of that assembly because there's going to be a lot of Rakdos. Uh, but there aren't that many Bowmasters decks that I've seen. You might see an uptick in like maybe Shadow. Uh, or, you know, if people decide to bring, like, this, uh, this new Demir midrange deck that's also playing Bowmasters, or even Yawgmoth, uh, I think you'll probably see a decent amount of Yawgmoth as well. But I think the, the biggest thing is that Scam really tends to punish kind of these more, almost, like, these more linear strategies, just because they play a lot of, like, Grief and Thoughtseize and, and all these disruptive uh-huh. elements. So you're going to need to have a plan for scam if you're going to expect to do reasonably well in modern. I think that's the clearly public enemy number one, and it's something that everyone's going to have to have a plan for. Yeah, absolutely. I think that deck's going to be absolutely everywhere this weekend. It's probably going to be the most played deck, kind of like you were saying. All right, so we've kind of got an overview of everything. You know, leading up to the event, the event itself, you know, your, your card choices, your deck choices, things like that. Um... If you were to talk to some of the people who are listening, who either, you know, made a pro tour or have it, maybe they're aspiring to get to kind of where you're at right now, if they're looking to get that next hump over, kind of like just tell me about the experience as a whole that we've covered today from, you know, leading up to the RC, the RC itself, and then leading up to the, the pro tour. Any nuggets that you can drop for people at home, maybe go over your prep process for these so some people can kind of like emulate your success at home or maybe, you know, learn something from it that they can add to their own because everybody does it differently and I've never found a formula that works for one person that's going to work for everyone so uh, give us kind of like the Elliot Rath playbook so I think this is kind of broken down into two areas right sure uh at least for me one is that you know I don't really get to play in a lot of events so when I do I really want to make sure that I enjoy the deck that I'm playing um whether that's something that I've been playing for a long time or just a general strategy I enjoy, I want to make sure that, you know, win or lose, I'm not going to walk away from the event, like, miserable, <laughs> at least to the point where I can control it. Uh, so I, I think just being comfortable with your deck and actually enjoying uh, the strategy that you're sitting down to play with over the course of, you know, a large number of rounds and days is a really big key for me. Um the other portion of it is that I, I think I may have left this out when we were talking about the RC is that I did work with a good group of friends for the RC as well. Uh, so this kind of boils down to the team uh, dynamic of everything, which is that I just want to work with smart people and preferably smart people who disagree with me. Um, you, you can learn a lot by playing a lot of magic and putting in the work. But until you get that perspective and different mindsets of everyone around you, then you're really not getting a very complete picture. So you really just want to get as much information from as many different, you know, reliable sources as you can. And then what you do with that information from that point's up to you. But at least you have a better idea of what other people are doing, what other people are thinking, and then what you can do with that information on top. So certainly, like the team that I worked for for the RC was fantastic. Like, I actually ended up losing to uh, my teammate Dwee in the top eight. Like, we, we put two members in the top eight of an RC, and that's, like, no no small task. Um, and, yeah, just working with this group of really experienced and really smart people for the Pro Tour as well, even if I don't end up doing 
you know, exactly what they're looking for for the event in terms of constructed. It's just given me a better idea of like what the people who are going to bring certain decks are thinking, what their game plan is against me, and that gives me an edge when I have to sit down and play against them at the Pro Tour. Nice. All right. Well, uh, any small pieces of advice you can give to people at home that maybe you've learned recently of you know playing these big events, preparing for the big ones, like something small, like you know, hey, get get some sleep, make sure you eat a good meal. Like, what was a what was a big moment for you that changed since? Because I know that I had specific ones. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned two huge ones, right? I wouldn't even call those small. Like, sure. <laughs> get, get, getting yeah. sleep and eating eating well is is a really big deal. But I think the biggest thing is just just to stay calm. Like, even if you take a loss, even if you take two, like, it, it's not a big deal in the scheme of things. Like, don't don't bring your last round into your next round. Just whenever you can, just take time between rounds, decompress. Don't think about magic. You know, just, just do whatever you need to do for yourself to get yourself in, like, as a neutral or, like, good mindset where you can sit down and have some fun and just... Uh, you know, be a person when sitting down to the next match and not someone who's just focused on, you know, solely beating your opponent and be all business. You know, just keep loose as much as you can because the days are really, really long and you will get tired and you will burn out and it you just don't want that to happen any sooner than it has to. Absolutely. I think those were all great things that... Elliot, uh, I know you got a lot going on. Like you said, you're leaving tomorrow for Spain, so... Uh, for myself, I know Ross wishes you the best of luck as well. So best of luck this week coming up. I hope you guys all crush it. You all at least requeue for the next pro tour, but let, let's aim a little higher. Let's get some some serious money as well in you guys' pockets, maybe even a top eight or two for our team. And thanks for being on uh, an episode of MGG Rants with us this week. And hopefully we can get you back real soon talking about how well you did at the pro tour. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Dan, and really appreciate it. Yeah, anytime, Elliot. Thanks a lot. For everybody at home listening, thank you. We'll see you all soon.